This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Ryan Jackson was born in Murray, Utah, and is the oldest of five children. Ryan lived in West Jordan, Utah until fifth grade when his family moved to Menden, Utah. In his youth, he was active in scouts, earning his eagle, was strong in academics and played football and ran track. After high school, Ryan attended Utah State University for one year with an academic scholarship before serving a two-year mission in the Rio de Janeiro North Brazil Mission. Upon returning from his mission, Ryan continued to study science at USU, later earning a bachelor's degree in biology and a PhD in biochemistry. Ryan is married to Amber Brandley, and they have five children together. Ryan now works as an assistant professor at Utah State University in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. I'm Tara McCausland, and I want to welcome our listeners and Thank Ryan for being on the podcast with me today. Thanks so much, Ryan, for taking the time to to do this. Oh, you're very welcome, Tara. Thanks, thanks for having me. Can you think of an experience in your youth that built faith? So I have a very funny experience um, when I was a really young boy, and I feel like I should share it, even though it may seem a little little weird. But I had a I had a pet dog when I was young, um, when I was about 10. And uh, this dog was pretty much a nuisance. Uh, she, uh, she looked like a wolf. And in fact, um, the way we got this dog was my my uncle found a puppy on the side of the road, but in the mountains. And so we think maybe it was of maybe wolf descent. Uh, but she, she was uh, difficult to uh, corral in our yard. And, um, but I loved, I loved this dog. I loved her a lot. And um, one day, um, I came home from a friend's house, and all my uh, friends told me that my dog had been hit by a car. I talked to my dad, and my dad told me that my dog was probably going to die because she had been hit, and she'd ran away. We didn't know where she was, and my dad told me that she was probably ran away to die somewhere. Well, I didn't want that to be what had happened, but I I went and I prayed, and in the process of prayer. I I think I uh, was touched by the Holy Ghost, but I I prayed as this little boy that that only her tail would be hurt. To me, that was, and I believed that that would be the truth, that that would that would really happen. And um, several weeks went by, and then one of my friends said, "I saw I saw your dog," and I went to I ran to my backyard, and she was she was there, and she she looked fine. She was very healthy except for her tail. All of the all of the fur. All the hair on her tail had been had been ripped off, and to me, as a as a young boy, that that experience um, meant a whole lot to me. It showed me that God answers prayers, that He hears prayers of a young of a young boy, and will will answer prayers even um, regarding something as as simple as a dog. But I also I also remember in that process of prayer, and I guess I don't want to make it sound like we that we go to God and tell him how we want reality to be. But I believe in that prayer, uh, Heavenly Father was communicating with me and, and, and helping me see 
what reality was and and it was a meaningful experience and so that that built a lot of faith as as a young boy even though maybe maybe it's kind of a funny experience or a, a weird experience but for me it, it was something that, that built my faith and then and then later of course probably one of the more foundational uh, experiences is I had a, a church leader in, when I when we moved to Menden I was probably in sixth grade or so that challenged us to read the Book of Mormon and um, I took it to heart and read the Book of Mormon um, on my own and just felt throughout reading it that it was true and that um, is something maybe a simple a simple testimony just this knowledge that Book of Mormon is true but um, I felt it at a young age, and and uh, the church, the church, and what it stands for, and the, uh, became really important to me at, at that point in time. Well, I love that story about your dog, <laughs> because I, I think if you grew up with a pet, and so many people do, I'm sure every child has said a prayer over their pet at least once in their <laughs> lifetime, and, and we currently um, are seeing the miracle of prayer for our chameleon Yoshi who has been sick but is now recovering. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for sharing both of those experiences, Ryan. No problem. Now, obviously we're fast forwarding a lot, but tell me a bit about your background as a biochemist and a little bit about what you do as a professor at Utah State University. I'd probably just start with before I started college, I was just kind of interested in everything. Um, in high school, I had AP credits in uh, chemistry, math, and and art. And so I really didn't know what I wanted my career to be. I had a lot of interest in actually being a teacher. Um, but I took a course uh, in as just a general ed course in um, human physiology and was a really challenging course. It opened my eyes to the um, kind of the wonder of the human body, but also the chemistry that's behind, uh, you know, at the molecular level that 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 drives life. And um, so I really, at that point, decided that I I liked sci- I liked the science because they were more of a challenge really than some of the other materials that I other courses that I could take in college. And um, I eventually picked biology because. I had the grades to maybe go on to med school, so I took all the pre-med classes, um, but I could also just, I could teach uh, as well. They were often the same classes. And then how I became what a, a biochemist, which would be, you know, a scientist, is uh, I got into undergraduate research at Utah State um, pretty pretty late in my studies. It was um, a professor actually approached me uh, and asked me if I would like to do undergraduate research. He could tell by the types of questions that I was asking that I might be interested in learning more about the methods uh, of, of how, how we learn things about the cell. So I started doing research with him and uh, I, I, I loved it from the get-go. I, I felt pretty intimidated. I, I even still feel intimidated now. I just kind of see myself as this farm boy from Menden, Utah. I don't see myself as a, as a uh, you know, a scientist who know, you know, I just, I'm just very aware of what I don't know, but um, really enjoyed it and um, had the opportunity to do all the things that academics do. I um, presented my work and I was able to give talks about it and 
I just flourished in in that scenario. I love I love to teach and I love to teach about science. Uh, then um, I actually I got my degree and stayed on in that same lab, and and still was enjoying what I was doing. But I started taking courses. And to make a long story short, one of these courses was called structural biology. They're teaching us how scientists determine the three-dimensional structure of of the machines inside the cell that that basically make the cell function and this this artistic background that i that i had kind of uh came back and i I don't know if i said to you told you earlier but i i worked at a frame shop most of my college um, career i loved art and this idea of being able to actually see the three-dimensional structures of the proteins and the dna and everything that was inside the cell uh, blew my mind away and this professor invited me to to join his lab and do a PhD. And so I uh, was so interested in this technique that I just decided, sure, that would be great. And I didn't know if I would succeed at getting the PhD, uh, but I thought it would be a cool opportunity. And so um, I I shifted gears from being more of a uh, interested in biology to biochemistry and um, started uh you know, I was still I was a TA for chemistry classes, and uh, and it just the research started going really well. We determined the three dimensional structure of a protein that uh, basically keeps every cell in our body healthy. Um, and uh, and then after that, after I got my PhD, um, I moved on to a lab in Montana where we started studying. Uh, CRISPR systems. And CRISPR systems are a really hot term right now in science. They're bacterial immune systems, but the reason why they're so hot in science is because they're protein machines that, that you can program with an RNA guide to uh, to cut DNA in um, the tish- in cells of any type. So CRISPRs are a way to um, cure genetic diseases or di- diseases that um, are in our DNA. And and those cures haven't rolled out yet, but the potential is is there. And there's lots of models that are that are out there. I think there was even a just recently a clinical trial where they were using CRISPR to uh, cure forms of cancer. Um, but uh, I've taken some of that uh, um, that interest in CRISPR systems uh, with me to Utah State University. Uh, we are studying. Uh, the structure of newly discovered CRISPR systems. And so there's many of these systems that have not been characterized. And so we're using biochemistry and structural biology to to determine that. So I guess that's my background in in biochemistry, but um, I can't remember. I think maybe you asked me two questions, but I can't remember the second. (laughs) Well, no, you're great. that's That's a pretty good synopsis there. And I'm excited that I can even say that I, I've heard of CRISPR. <laughs> I think it, it was a TED Talk or a TED Radio Hour that I was listening to. And it's it's pretty fascinating stuff. And so I think it's fair to say that you're, you're playing an influential role in some of this hot science, some of this new stuff that's happening, and um, and that you're you're making a difference there. So thank you, Brian, for using that brilliant mind for for good. Some people feel like faith and scientific knowledge cannot peacefully coexist, that one must trump or oust the other. But tell me about your experience and how your study 
of the sciences of biochemistry has impacted your faith in the gospel? I believe that um, people have to find, they need to put faith in something. And uh, I, I think that people um, sometimes see a difficulty, and I've seen this difficulty sometimes, a difficulty with agency. That agency, some people use their agency quite quite badly. And um, that they, you might say, how how could God be there if, how could God allow for these bad things to happen? And then they search for some something else to place their faith in, and, and science provides what it can, um, ex- what it can to explain how things work. It's been my experience that when I, uh, when I see the complexity of the cell. The cell is almost more complex than than even the human body. There's so many things that um, that have to work just right to keep that small cell uh, alive and then allow it to replicate. I just find it miraculous. I find that it is uh, is a testament of of a creator. It's a testament of of, of design in a way, but um, also as a scientist. I feel like there are those, um, even in the religious field, that want to make, they want to know the answers so badly uh, on how God does things that they they start putting boundaries on what how God would do things, how God would create life, or how God would create man. And um, so I I, ha- I try to have a pretty open mind. Um, I try to allow for lots of possibilities when it comes to how God acts I don't try to I don't try to restrain what he can and cannot do um, and that that open mindedness has uh, I think allowed me to be a good scientist too I think it's important to have an open mind when we're um, hypothesizing and and creating experiments and and those kind of things and so when it comes specifically to the the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints I had a when I was in grad school. One of my friends was an atheist. He had learned some of the things um, that we believe in, and he he came up to me one day and he just said, "I can't believe you believe this stuff. You believe that Joseph Smith? You believe in this Joseph Smith guy that he that he talked to God that he that he found gold plates and that he he translated them? You you believe in that?" And I I said to him, I said, "Whoa whoa whoa whoa." You don't. You haven't even given. You haven't even uh, thrown your best ammunition at me. I said I believe in a lot crazier stuff than that. I said I believe in this guy who 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 walked on water, and someone who was murdered and then uh, came back from the dead, and was able to heal people just by touching them. Like use that one on me. That one's way better. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes. And then he said, Well, if you if you put it that way, I guess it doesn't sound too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I've come to the belief that if you if you want to look for the the God's hand, you'll see it everywhere in 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 life, and that's what I truly study is is how how life you know the fundamental source of life, and uh, it truly is marvelous. It's it's amazing, and it can strengthen your faith. May have been Galileo or um, Magellan, one of the one of the first scientists scientists to actually determined the the actual order of the planets and how they were orbiting the earth when they saw um 
you know how ordered it was it they they declared statements like this is evidence of god this is evidence that god exists because it's so elegant it's so marvelous and uh and others could say well now that we know how it works then there can't be a god and i just think we get to we get to decide um our agency is not taken away uh so that's that's my take on it but i think it's quite easy to be a scientist and a person of faith i love that and i was thinking that of the scripture in alma all things to note that there is a god yeah and I, I think you're absolutely right that if we're looking for God's hand, whether it be just in our daily lives or in the makeup of a cell, that we can see God's handiwork if we have the faith to recognize it as such. So I I love that. I also thought as well, as you were saying, how people like to put parameters around what they think God can and cannot do or how creation would have happened. The other scripture that came to mind was, my ways are higher than your ways. And <laughs> we, we, we need to take a good dose of humility every day and recognize, you know, I don't, I don't see the whole puzzle here. And I need to recognize there's a lot I can still learn. So I appreciate both of those, those examples. With this brilliant mind... And that, yes, I'm going to call it a brilliant mind, <laughs> um, has come some challenges. So tell us a bit about your history with depression and how that has impacted your life. I grew up with my my mom had pretty severe depression growing up, and um, she sh- suffered some pretty serious abuse in her home. And uh, so I got to see firsthand as a child what it was like uh, to have have depression. And as a kid and as a teenager, I I didn't experience it. I I remember maybe some days where I'd be a little, you know, grumpy and I'd have to go on a run or something and get it out of my system. But uh, um, in fact, uh, I had a friend uh, that that grew up with us and he was struggling with some mental illness on a camping trip and I didn't have a lot of patience with him and, and, uh, you know, just couldn't understand his logic and uh was very um wouldn't i wouldn't say i was unkind but i was i was um not understanding um that's for sure um and then and then same kind of thing on my mission there were missionaries who who struggled with mental illness and i i don't think i judged them very harshly but i I just didn't understand them and then um i came home from my mission and uh there were some pretty low days um when I came home from my mission, but still nothing, nothing like what happened about three years in uh, home from my mission. Um, I just started piling a lot on my plate. I um, had a lot of uh, science classes, probably some of the hardest science classes all at the same time. Um, and I was dating a girl and was trying to impress her. And um, so that took some of my time. And then uh, I also was working two jobs, so I just kind of felt like I didn't need to sleep, and I was a poor college kid, and I wasn't eating very well. And um, you could kind, of, you can kind of see where this is going, and um, uh, and just something had to give. And um, me and the girl we were dating, I, we started thinking about getting engaged, and then, um, and for me, I did not, I didn't, I wasn't very good at communicating a lot of this to her, and I, I felt bad about it, but it was. The, I think the depression really started to rear its head 
there because I um I would go from feeling really good to feeling just completely um, completely not myself, completely upset, completely confused, and um, feeling things that I really hadn't felt before in my life. We we eventually broke off the engagement and it relieved some stress for a little while. Um, but then over the summer and then into the next fall, uh, things started to get uh, pretty pretty terrible. And what what happens, I won't go into all the details, but I think those those who have suffered with depression might be able to relate to what kind of happened in my case. And that is that uh, the brain, um, when it, this, these are things I know now, <laughs> so I did not know them, but um, the brain wants to feel better. The brain wants to uh, not feel the pain that comes from depression and so it seeks it seeks things that might numb the pain or um you know get rid of the pain and so some cope with with alcohol others cope with other addictive things that can uh numb the pain and uh, i won't get into the details of of my my mistakes but in that same time period i was i started accessing material that was addictive in nature and really would numb would numb for a little while, and then uh, would leave me worse off than before. And I started feeling, uh, I started getting, I got in a, caught in a very vicious cycle where I would um, be depressed, and then and then I'd act out, and then um, get more depressed and feel, uh, you know. And at at one point, even then, this was when I was in my twenties, I was got to a point where I was getting quite suicidal. Lucky for me, there were people in my life, like my mom, other people, um, I think Spencer, <laughs> your brother, was one of them who could recognize that something was very wrong with me. And they they uh, reached out and uh, I got I got some help. I got started on some um, medication and um, I got to some some talk therapy, and I, I also found in that time period of my life that not every therapist is is good <laughs> for you. Uh, they might be good for someone else, but they some therapists are um, some of the, just some of the what they would talk, how they would the advice they'd give me was not um, what I needed to hear. But eventually, I found someone who uh, gave me the 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 right counseling that I needed. And lucky for me, with all of this counseling, and, and, and there was also spiritual counseling with bishops, and, and um, I was able to get back on my feet in about, about six to eight months after really uh, diving down and, and, and to the depths of this depression. And it was about this time, and one of the things that kind of helped me out of the hole was um, my friend Amber, who I'm now married to, would also um, talk to me and, and you know, uh, just was there for me. And I something, some tripwire happened in my brain, and I realized that I would be a dummy if I didn't try to try at least to to court her and see if I could convince her to um, just to see where it would go. And uh, um, some of the, it's funny, but my things worked out that right about when I started, um, you know, being able to recover and um, manage the depression, 
uh, was when I started dating Amber. And we went into that relationship with her being aware of, of everything that I was dealing with. Then, uh, you know, it's been um, almost our whole marriage that I've um, been managing depression at some level. And um, sometimes, you know, it's definitely precipitated by stress. Uh, and science is not a very, science is, is full of stress. There's, there's, and, and it's full of failure. So um, it, it hasn't been an easy uh, road um, over the last 16 years. Also, also we, um, right after we got married, well, not right after, but within the first year that we were married, we had twin boys. We've um, just kind of been high octane, high stress for most of our marriage um, with, <laughs> with family and, and, and doing grad school and, and other things. And so, and I definitely, uh, so I think I know the tricks to manage it, but I don't always, haven't always done a, a good job, but I'm lucky to be married to someone who's been, been there for me. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't, uh, trick her. She knew what she was getting into. <laughs> so it's been, but, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of it. And I think that's maybe a similar story you might hear from others with depression is that for some of them, it just kind of sneaks up on them. They don't really know what's coming and, and all of a sudden, it hits them and and they can't shake it and uh for me that's that was kind of the case and and it's um been it's been difficult i i really wish it would go away <laughs> i wish uh the symptoms would um just i wish i could be healed from it but that doesn't seem to be what's in the cards for me so this past summer you had a major bout of depression that spiraled into suicidal ideation and a suicidal attempt. That's what I understand. Tell us what led up to that and the events surrounding that. There wasn't anything really major leading up to it that I can really say. I mean, my, my job has a lot of stresses involved. I have a lot of responsibilities. Um, I, I run my own research lab and, um, and, and I had a have maybe a problem of of saying no <laughs> to people, but I started putting a lot of things on my plate. Um, grant writing um, is actually writing in itself is actually um, a trigger for me. At least it gives me a lot of anxiety and is something that um, has caused me to feel depressed in the past. And I decided I needed to write two grants, and um, I was going to be giving the talk in and in, in Florida and. I just remember coming home one day and just feeling the weight of all of these responsibilities that I had and just not feeling like I was up to the task. Um, but another, another thing that was happening at that time was for, for more than a year, um, kind of felt like the medication that I was taking wasn't quite working as well as maybe, um, medication should work. And an example of this was my, I went into my doctor and I said, about every other, about every 10 days, I just have this feeling like it would be totally fine if I just cease to exist. And and the, I'm like, and I don't act on it or anything. I just, that's how I feel. That's how I feel at work. I, the, the, the way the day feels. And he said, well, let's see if what, that, that really shouldn't be the case. I mean, people have a bad day, but they don't wish like, I wish I didn't exist anymore. Uh, so we were we were decided to change medications. And so 
at the same exact time that I was feeling this weight, we had just gotten the one medication out of my system and we're just starting to put in the new medication. And so I don't know if the stress just um, was more or felt worse than normal because of the medication, the physiological side of things, or if it just was um, a lot on my plate and maybe it's a combination of both. But um, I remember that it it really did feel like my my will to fight um, or almost like my my yeah like I was kind of fighting and then all of a sudden something kind of snapped in my almost in my soul I just kind of felt like I I started believing the message that I I couldn't do it and then I started um, foreseeing what would happen with me uh, not being able to deliver on my promises and and the the negative consequences of that and that just added to the anxiety and uh, it just started spiraling out of control and 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 also came with it a very strong feeling of of that the best way to describe it I think is imagine fingernails on a chalkboard but times times a hundred and that was kind of what I was the emotion and the physical feeling and I just I turned to Amber this was at night and I just I just turned to her in in our bedroom and I just said I just I just feel like I want to die and she was really wise she um because I kept wanting to just bolt I, I I wanted to run from this feeling it was was very strong it was very real and I I wanted it to stop and uh she uh, is really good at boxing out she'd be great um forward on the basketball team and she would box out and not let me leave the room and and just was really um, aware of what i was trying to do and uh, so that was our that was the first night with this kind of um this 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 episode and what I did the next, so the next morning after no sleep, I just, I finally did decide to fight again. And I got on the treadmill and I ran and ran and ran and ran. And I ran for at least 40 minutes on the treadmill, trying to make myself uh, better and, and being able to fight this thing. And then, and then I broke my day, my work day into like 30 minute increments. And I would work for 30 minutes and then I would check in with Amber and then I'd work for 30 minutes and I'd check in with Amber by the end of the day, I felt I felt pretty good, but it was it was a lot of work. And then the next day, I tried to do that same thing again, and I hit a snag. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't ready to continue on that. Um, the outcome was that I I couldn't keep ahead of the depression, and it caught up with me again. And there's lots of details, and I'm sorry to kind of bore you with these details, but eventually, I was um, Amber and I decided it would be good for me to be hospitalized, and I hated. I hated the hospital, um, the first hospital that I went to. Uh, it seemed like um, basically I wasn't I, I wasn't better. I didn't I wasn't getting better, but I hated being in there. So I pretended to be better, and I put a smile on my face. And although it was again like fingernails on a chalkboard, I I acted the way I knew they wanted me to act, and uh, I was able to um, get. Um, released from the hospital, which is, which I, I thought was what needed to happen. And then the, you know, the, the part that, um, 
I, I wasn't, I, it still didn't work. And I just felt like I had to fight. And I'm, I'm sure, certainly not opposed to people fighting, but this was such an uphill battle that I still didn't win it. And my brain started to kick in again. And, and it, it said, hey, I need, I need, I need this numbed. I need this um, taken care of. And then some of, some of those addictive things that, that were there in my 20s started sneaking back into my life, which brought me to um, feeling terrible about myself uh, to the point of, of suicide. And in fact, one day I just came home and I, I was honest with Amber with all this. And we've been, had a very honest, um, open relationship, very honest about everything that, that happens. I was so uh, disappointed at myself and shamed at myself. And I could see, I could see it in her. I could see the fatigue. I could see, I could see that I was causing her so much pain. And um, in my depression, I, I labeled that, that I was, was hurting her and that she would be better off without me and that my kids would be better off without me and, and that, and that the world would be better off without me. And that, and that, um, of course I wouldn't have to deal with the pain. <laughs> so it, it became, um, so there was a bottle of pills and, you know, I didn't know what these pills were going to do, but, um, they were, they were sleep aid pills. And I was kind of making almost a, a bargain where I, I didn't want to be the judge completely of if I belonged in the world or not. I kind of wanted God to still be the judge. So I, it's almost like I made a bargain with the pills and I said, I'll, I'm going to take all these pills. And if God wants me here, then I won't die. And if God does want me here, I mean, sorry, if God wants me here, I won't die. But if, if it's better off that I leave this world and, and, and not hurt all these people that I love. And perhaps this is, this is a way that, that I can leave. And, um, and I, so I did that and, and I, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, I wasn't thinking straight. And I, I want to just make that clear, like that, that was the logic at the time, but that was very silly, silly logic. Um, that's where, uh, things, things got me. And, and the next day I woke up and, and I, to me, it wasn't really, I still remember waking up. I wasn't in a really good spot at all, but I remember still feeling a little bit of, of the comfort of the Holy Ghost. It was almost like uh, God said, I need you here. Even though this is really, really hard, you're, you're supposed to be here. Not something I always remember, but I, I uh, know that, that, that that's something that I felt. And then later that day, Let's fast forward to later that day after I told Amber exactly what happened um, and actually told the therapist ex exactly what happened. Um, I felt like I needed to go back to the hospital. And uh, this time um, I wasn't going to fake it at the hospital. <laughs> so for several days, I just sat in my bed and didn't move and uh, was um, but but there was one thing that I knew and this was huge towards my recovery. Is is wife and my parents and um, many other people in my life, they they loved me and they wanted me here. That that me just being here was was enough. They didn't need me to be a successful scientist for um, for for me to have their love. They didn't you know they just needed me on this earth. 
And and that was uh, my first stepping stone was that I had worth at a very fundamental level. Um, I think a major cause of my depression, I only love myself conditionally. It's easy to love yourself when you're doing everything right and getting accolades and you're getting straight A's and you're fit and you're all these things. But then, but if you're, if your love yourself is conditional, you know, at some point that's going to fall, that's going to fall apart. And that's, that was, that was kind of a piece of this was, um, I realized in the hospital bed that I had, I was, I had very conditional love for myself and that that's something I needed to work on. Um, another stepping stone out of the hospital, a lot of people visited me. Um, most of the people that visited me at least in the early days, I was there in the hospital. I was there for two weeks. Many of the people that visited me, I just sat there and stared off in the distance and told them not to make my same mistakes. And <laughs> I, I just, I was still trying to help, but my, I, my brain just, it couldn't really put together how to, where it needed to be. Um, the other thing I should say is that the doctor put me on some new medications and I really think that was a big um, part of my recovery too, is that the, the right medications um, in my system started to, to started to help. Um, but one thing that I think I think your listeners might like to hear is that one time my younger brother uh, Dallin came to visit me, and um, he he's kind of been in our family the perfect the perfect sibling, the one who doesn't make any mistakes. He's everything right. But I, I loved being his older brother because what I would do so he he's um, he's about eight years younger than me, and I would pull him aside as his older brother, and I would say you're going to be faced with these choices coming up. But what I would do is this, this choice and don't make those choices. And and he would always follow um, my advice. And I, I love that about him because he really did avoid a lot of life's hardships that way. Um, but he came to visit me and I just felt like it was so backwards that here is my younger brother that I've always given advice to was trying to give me advice and try to help me out. And, um, and he did. He just kind of told me, you know, like, you need to try again. You need to, you need to try. And, and I didn't do it right in that minute moment. But um, after he left, I remember going back to my little um, room and I knelt down and I prayed. And I, I, I think part of me had just felt like I had turned my back on God, like in this process of allowing myself to kind of give up on the life that I had been handed, that I also had given up on God, that I was telling God I didn't want him in my life anymore, and that um, I just didn't want want life anymore. So I felt I had done something quite um, quite wrong and uh, offensive to God, and that and I and I even believed that He wouldn't accept me anymore. But I realized that I didn't know that, and so I could I went back into my room and uh, prayed and told God I was ready to recommit and and that I would do what he asked. And it's really funny, almost almost instantly after that prayer, I got the impression to do 10 push-ups. And it was almost like a test. Like, okay, are you serious? Are you really going to do what I ask? Why don't you do 10 push-ups? And I, um, I did. I did the 10 push-ups. And then I got another impression to write in my journal. 
And so I wrote many of the feelings that I was thinking in my journal. And, and from that day, things really started to improve step by step. Um, after after um, I was released from the hospital, I went into a kind of a clinic um, and I was there for 28 days. And, and there I learned more strategies to help both with the addictive behaviors and, and with the depression. And, um, and it gave me more time for my, my brain to heal. And, and then that really wasn't too long ago. It's just been a few months since I was, um, I came out of the clinic, um, since then. And, uh, I decided to start trying to teach, uh, at the university. My first teaching were, were not good. I look back and those four students, but, um, I've, I've been healing. I continue to heal and, um, I'm feeling for myself uh, now than I have in, in a long time. And many of the feelings that I was feeling even a year ago are, are feeling like they're even dropping off. So um, so that's kind of the story. Well, thank you for sharing that difficult experience. There were a lot of things that stood out to me, but I think the point of you recognizing that your worth is not negotiable regardless of the choices that we make or our successes or our lack of success, that, that every soul, the worth is great in the sight of God. And so I appreciate that reminder that no matter what, we are loved unconditionally. For you then, having had that experience, what would your advice be to someone who feels like their life is no longer worth living, that they are in this dark tunnel and they don't see light? Oh. A lot of people that loved me, that lo- that do love me, you know, came to me and would say things like, like, hang in there. And at the time, I just, I just, it, it, it would sound so hollow in my, in my ears. But um, I would say to, to someone that was struggling, they are loved. And that that God is there for them. One thing it reminds me of an experience that I had, and the depression is it's just it's just the pits. It really is so bad, and and you just want the pain to go away. It's it's worse than I've had kidney stones. It's worse than a kidney stone. It's it's just terrible. And I remember this time where I was praying to God. And what I wanted was the pain to leave. I could feel God's comfort, but the pain was still there. And it was really interesting to me because it was, it was not what I expected. And, and I guess I would tell people, I wouldn't want to sugarcoat it to someone that was feeling the pain of depression, feeling like suicide was, a, was an option. I would say the pain is, the pain is real, and I'm not promising you uh, an easy way out. But it's worth hanging in there, and there are there are lots of ways, many many ways that that can ease the pain over time, you know. And and there are people who need you, um. So, and and God is there for you, and and will be with you. But I think I think I'd like to also say to that person, like instead of just promising that the pain's going to go away to be there for them and say, I'm here for you while you, while you suffer through this. I'm here to, to help you, to, to show you that uh, someone, 
someone is here with you and cares enough to be with you as you suffer. And and to me, I think that is who, who, our Savior Jesus Christ too. Uh, he he does he does uh, lift the, the pain off our shoulders at times, but other times he's just there with us while we we feel the pain. And I don't intend to understand all of this. I I wish I wouldn't have had to have gone through it, and I don't wish it on anyone. Um, but at least now I'm in a position to help others that are suffering because I, I know it's what it's like enough to, to, to be there for others. So I don't know if that's the best advice, but um, the advice of, of, of you have worth and there are people that need you. Even if you don't feel like you have worth, um, you may be wrong. And that's something that I realized I, I, was, I was wrong. My brain was feeding me lies. It wasn't true what I was believing in that moment. I was needed. I had worth, and and that things could improve. And that's a hard thing to swallow. Um, you know, you, we like to be right, but uh, I, I think that's that's something that depression does. It warps reality, and so that's that's something I would say too is believe what I'm saying, not not everything that you're thinking and feeling. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I recognize, again, the great difficulty in this experience, and it takes a, a great deal of courage in sharing <laughs> your story. And But I know that as we open up about our pain and our struggles and, and can just be vulnerable and authentic with each other, I know that we can buoy each other up. Your story, I know, will bless many. I really hope so. Thanks, Tara. So after all this, Ryan, some really tough stuff. Why are you still rowing and choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ? Well, I believe that in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the only place that I will be able to find the peace that I'm looking for. And I, I guess it's even that simple, but I have found so much uh, peace. Um, today in church, we talked about the balm of Gilead and that I do feel like that the atonement of Jesus Christ is is the balm of Gilead, that it belief in him, belief that he's there for us and that he can succor us. And And when I say belief, for me, that belief isn't just, you know, believing that he's far away, but that belief is me saying prayers to, for help, probably hourly if not more than hourly to to receive help with temptations and with struggles and and to really believe that through that that his help will be there for me and to just keep going and uh, you know it's more than going to church on Sunday but I I find peace in reading the scriptures and in listening to the the prophets and Sometimes the depression is right there and the shame is right there to show me how far off I am from where I'd like to be. But I I do believe that God has a purpose for me on this earth. The probably the uh, a hope best the most hope that I can have is that that God was very aware of my weaknesses. Was very aware of of the the problems and the mistakes and the troubles I was going to have, 
and and has already uh, made a plan to cover that through through Jesus Christ, and that that if I do my best, I will be able to have the things that ma- matter to me most, which is my my family and being able to be sealed to them. And yeah, I just I just know it's true, and uh, and and I I'm still learning. I guess that's probably the other thing is. It seems like uh, I guess maybe I thought I knew all the answers, and this last trial has really shown me that there's lots for me to learn. But I'm so grateful to have the gospel in my life. I don't know. I just think it would have been so much harder to without it to have gone through what we have this year. So thanks. Well, thank you, Ryan. Again, appreciate you and your family. Appreciate you taking the time to share with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.